What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. It's the early morning hours now of Wednesday, April 5th, 2023. Live here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. If you're checking out the video stream of Be Shafe Daily. And if you're like, what's a video stream of Be Shafe Daily? Well, youtube.com slash at bshafer12 is where you can find that. Picked up some new YouTube subscribers today, so super pumped about that. Check out the video side of it. I've got my camera rolling uh, a little more uh, interaction level than just listening on the audio, but if you like audio, that's great too. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, make sure you're following the show over there. But we've got a lot to dig into tonight and not a lot of time to do it because the Cardinals on Wednesday, I mean, it's already after midnight as I'm recording this, as I said. And Wednesday, about 12, 15 p.m., the Cardinals are scheduled to play the Atlanta Braves at Busch Stadium in the series finale. Hopefully, the rain cooperates and allows that to take place. But before we can get to that, we've got to get to this. Wow, were there some fireworks at Busch Stadium on Tuesday night as the Cardinals fell to the Braves 4-1. to one. Like, that's what happened. That's, I, I guess, supposed to be the headline, but it isn't. The game and the score and Steven Matz giving up home runs in the first and second inning. Uh, and then kind of settling in. The bullpen did a nice job. That's not the storyline. The Cardinals getting 10 hits in a game for the fifth time in five games this season. That's not the lead storyline. No. The lead storyline and what we're going to spend pretty much all of our time talking about tonight here on B-Shape Daily is what unfolded between Tyler O'Neill and Cardinals manager Ollie Marmel. Wow. Where to begin with this? Uh, so if you missed the game, welcome in. Check out my story, KMOV.com slash sports. and be the front story there on uh, on the KMOV website. And the reason I say check out the story is because within the story is uh, a video of the play in question. Because if you miss the Cardinals game, you're going to want to watch it before, I think, listening to the rest of the show. Because everybody's got an opinion, and the opinions differ. The opinion definitely differed between what Ollie Marmel thought about this play and what Tyler O'Neill thought about this play. All right. Let's set the scene here, and we're just going to jump right into it because this is basically the entire thing. We've got lots of audio coming from both Tyler O'Neill and Ollie Marmel. We'll play some Ollie Marmel, and then I think we'll follow up with Tyler O'Neill because that's the way it actually happened in real time. You know, we go down to the interview room after the game is over, and Ollie speaks first. The manager goes to the podium, and then the media is allowed to enter the clubhouse and talk to any players that they may come across. Well, Naturally, we're all kind of waiting out Tyler O'Neill near his locker to see if he shows up. He did and was willing to talk with us about the fateful play in the bottom of the seventh inning, which is really where the game was lost, in my opinion, for the Cardinals because they couldn't get a lot done off of the left-handed starter for Atlanta, Dylan Dodd, making his Major League debut. Uh, John Denton of MLB.com had a great stat earlier today about just how much the Cardinals have struggled against guys making their Major League debut. Over the last five years, I think it's something like an ERA of 2.15 coming into today. And again today, the Cardinals didn't get much done against the fellow pitching for the first time. I believe he used to pitch about five years ago for the Hoots, which are now the O'Fallon Hoots, which is like literally, you know, five-minute walk from my house is where uh, the Car Shield Field is, where they play, the Collegiate Summer League team. And uh, evidently, Dylan Dodd is a SEMO guy, used to play for them. I didn't even really make all that connection until he was uh, scheduled to start tonight, but... I guess, cool local angle, but he he gave it to the Cardinals. He served them up, and again, they just couldn't really get 
much done. They weren't taking advantage of their opportunities. But in the seventh inning, they had an opportunity. I thought this was the one where if they were going to do it, if they were going to come back and make this game a special one, it was going to happen right here. And honestly, they had everything set up the way that you needed to with Brendan Donovan coming off the bench to bat in the nine hole. Uh, I guess it was would have been Taylor Motter that was in that spot. That forces Brian Snitker, the Braves manager, to go to a lefty out of his bullpen, Dylan Lee. Uh, and at this point, okay, you do have the left-on-left matchup. But as we've talked about before, Ali Marmel and the Cardinals are not afraid of a left-on-left matchup when it comes to Brendan Donovan. They believe he can hit either side. And sure as shooting, he does. He lofts a, a line drive base hit into right field. There were runners on first and second with two outs. The Cardinals down by three runs. Please, computer, I do not want a gift card right now, Microsoft. Sorry about that. Uh, that's probably going to end up in the video. Whatever. So first and second, and they get the base hit. They're looking forward two outs. But they're down by three runs. Keep that in mind. Down by three. And you've got Ronald Acuna Jr. in right field. He's already gunned down Wilson Contreras trying to stretch a single into a double after nearly making a diving catch and, and ending up on Sports Center for that play. Acuna in right field in the bottom of the fourth inning almost took a hit away from Contreras. Uh, that was the only run the Cardinals scored. I believe it ends up as an RBI single, but Contreras, it's kind of a, a pop fly into shallow right field down the line. He's kind of rounding first base, maybe expecting it to be caught. I don't know. And at the end of the play, it doesn't get caught. He kind of traps it, but Acuna's got a heck of an arm, and so he's able to throw out Contreras at second base. It ended up being a really, really close play, and if you watch the video of this one, Contreras leaped up immediately and was adamant about the fact that he was safe. And he was calling over to the dugout to say, challenge it, challenge it. It was the end of the inning in the fourth, and Ollie Marmel ultimately does not decide to challenge it. I asked him about it after the game, after all the Tyler O'Neill stuff died down, which I'll I'll get to. Stick around. We're going to get into all of it tonight. And Ollie basically said on that play in the fourth with Contreras, they didn't, and I asked it this way. I said, was it the case where y'all did not have the angle you thought was going to compel the umpires to overturn this call. And he said, we, yes. And that limited amount of time that you have, and it's even more limited now. So with the pitch clock and they start that two minute clock, which is where, what the pitcher gets to warm up before the next inning. And it's a whole thing. And so it is compressed. And I don't think that part of it's good for baseball. If you want to have replay, at least give the, the team a minute to decide whether or not they're going to review something. Uh, and, and ultimately in this case, the Cardinals decided not to review it at second base for Contreras. Maybe that would have been a rally that could have been extended. Um, I thought, watching the replay of this one that if I had to guess, like if you put me up and, and, and gave me the truth serum, I'd say, man, money on the line. I'm saying Contreras was in reality safe there at second base. However, I don't think there was an angle that the Cardinals saw because I don't think there was an angle that existed of this replay that would show definitively to the extent that you know uh, the umpires in New York that are watching it back at the, the headquarters would have said, yes, Contreras is safe at second, overturn the call. I don't think that existed. I think he was safe, but I don't know if they they had the the angles to prove it because there are body parts in the way. You couldn't tell what time is the glove hitting him versus when does he get his fingertips on the base. Like, I just don't think it would have existed. And so it would have been a case where whatever they called on the field there in the fourth inning, I think was going to uh, end up being the call that stayed. The play that happened in the seventh inning did not need any replay. Because as Tyler O'Neill is rounding third base, Papa Warner, the third base coach, is waving him home. And you've got Ronald Acuna Jr. teeing him up, ready to throw it home. We know what his arm is. We know what he can do. We've seen it already earlier, just three innings ago. And he does it again. He nails Tyler O'Neill at home plate. And, guys, it's not close. 
I mean, I have never seen such a bewildering play happen in real time where you're watching it and going, okay, I know I've seen baseball before. I know what to generally expect of a base hit to right field with a strong-armed right fielder, but a guy who's on second base and is a fast runner. Like, you you expect a bang-bang play at the plate if they're going to send the runner. It wasn't bang-bang. I mean, it was literally a country mile. Okay, not literally. It was literally figuratively a country mile by which Tyler O'Neill was gunned down at the plate. And that ended the inning, ended the Cardinals' threat, pretty much the last threat they had of the game. The rain started to pick up from there even more, and it just wasn't going to be an environment I thought that a comeback would potentially happen for St. Louis. It was done. They needed to take advantage of this spot in the game, and they couldn't get it done. But really, it's not because they couldn't come up with a clutch hit, right? They run themselves out of the inning. I have a lot of thoughts about this. But what I want to do right now because I think it's it's the stuff that people want to hear about the most, is I want to get into some of the audio. We're going to start with Ollie Marmel and play for you the audio from his post game, which is, again, this is what immediately happened after the game. We go down, we wait for Ollie. First question off the jump is about the O'Neill play because we couldn't figure it out. In the press box, in the on Twitter, people were going, what is Tyler O'Neill doing? Like, that was kind of the consensus. A lot of people wondering, like, it didn't look right. And they didn't show a lot of replays that I could tell on on the Bally broadcast. I tried to go back on MLB TV, but every time I did, I would get into a commercial break and it wouldn't let me like scan to the exact part of the game that I wanted. So if they showed replays uh, after the inning, the next inning started, I'm not aware of what they looked like. And so we were all kind of wondering like what happened in real time. I'll tell you in the stadium, I couldn't figure out how Tyler O'Neill was out by that amount. Like I said, we've all seen baseball before. We know what that play is supposed to look and feel like, and something was amiss. It did not feel right. Couldn't figure out what it was. Was Tyler O'Neill dogging it? Was he not running hard? Was he was he injured? Did he come up? Did he not round the base cleanly? Like, what happened? Did he not get a good jump? It was not really clear. And then, honestly, even after watching it later on, Matt Pauley of KMOX posted the overarching view where you can see the whole field and the play develop, and you're like, yeah, it looks like Tyler O'Neill's moving a little slower than he normally does, but it's like nothing egregious really stood out to me from this play. And and I'm telling you, it's revisionist history. If anybody's saying differently uh, down there in the in the media room, we're just kind of waiting for Ollie Marmel. We're all talking to one another, like, yeah, that was a weird play. Like, I I I don't think it was automatic that Ollie Marmel was going to walk to the podium and and speak about the play the way that he did. Um, but in retrospect, the more I was able to kind of think about it on the way home and soak in everything that had just happened over the previous couple of hours, it, it's not necessarily a huge surprise to me that Ollie Marmel uh, sort of approached it the way that he did. But we're going to let you hear from Ollie Marmel here, and I'm just going to sit back. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to kind of see me live react to hearing these quotes again um, because my video feed will stay up. But you'll you'll hear the audio from uh, the post game in which Ollie is asked about uh, what the heck happened there with Tyler O'Neill and the play where he came up well short in the seventh inning, a uh, critical spot for the Cardinals. Here's the post game, and, and it'll be uh, just as you heard it on the television um, because they caught all of it right here from Molly Marmel. Um, yeah, we got a lot of guys playing really hard. That's not our style of play as far as the, the effort rounding the bag there. Um, it's unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty clear, right? All right, good. 
Is that a case where you think he maybe didn't expect to be sent or given the circumstance, or what uh, bottom line is that's not his judgment. That's all we have a coach standing over there. Your efforts, uh, 100% until you're told not to. Yeah. Colin, you alluded to in post games prior the base running not being as crisp as you'd like and fixing some things on the base paths. Do you feel like there needs to be more of a central focus on the importance of that with this club? No. No, not at all. Um, not, not one bit, no. That, that's that's there. There's that's an effort thing. It's not a you don't go out there and work on running hard. Yeah. Is that something you address immediately, or I mean, how do you second year as a manager? We haven't seen this from you, so is that something you address in the dugout as he comes in? We'll we'll address it. Yeah, it's been addressed already. So Ali Marmel makes it completely clear there that the onus for and the responsibility for that play is on Tyler O'Neill. Says it's an effort play, it's unacceptable, and that basically he wasn't giving the effort. We we don't go out there and work on trying to run hard, he said. Like that's that's supposed to be a given in any situation. And so it's a Katie's question about does you know, base running as a, a general principle need to have more uh, of a focus for this team. Ollie was kind of defiant about it. Said, well, no, I don't think that's it at all because we don't go out on, you know, out there trying to, to work on running hard. That's just a given. That's a, a central tenant to what the Cardinals want to do as a, any team would want to do. If effort is in question, that is a problem. And so Ollie Marmol, I mean, it was cut and dry. Right. He said, it's pretty clear, right? He didn't even want to take any more questions about it, but I'm the doofus that, that kind of asked about it again, because of course it, it needed to be, I think asked about more and, and fleshed out a little bit more. Um, but he was, I mean, from that first question that, uh, I believe Jeff had asked, um, yeah, it was, he was pretty clear that it's an effort situation and we aren't happy about it. So all right, clearly that's the way this is viewed. Let's go into the clubhouse and ask Tyler O'Neill for his impressions of what happened there. Well, we do that, and we don't get the answer maybe that we were expecting. Like, I don't know. I I don't know what we were expecting, honestly. I wasn't expecting Ollie Marmel to really lay into Tyler O'Neill about the effort issue the way that he did. So we go into the clubhouse and get a chance to ask O'Neill about it, and he basically pushes back on the notion that it was an effort issue. Um, he acknowledges, as you'll hear in the clip, I'm going to play like several minutes in a row of it raw, just so you can hear uh, the questions he's asked, the answers he gives, and totally, you know, within context in every single instance um, with with kind of where he was. And like, this is all right after the heat of the moment, right? I don't know that O'Neill had heard Ali Marmel and what he had said publicly about the situation. I don't believe that he had uh, in the time between him saying it and us going into the clubhouse and, and, and talking to Tyler about it. If I had to guess, he was not familiar with it. However, uh, as you'll hear in the clip here, he had had the conversation already with Ali Marmel in private about it. They had already talked about it, uh, the two of them, and so it – Probably none of it came as a surprise, I think, to Tyler O'Neill that that those comments were also made publicly. 
um, because as you, you'll get a sense listening to Tyler O'Neill talk about it, it was a case where uh, it sounds like it was it was a pretty adamant uh, chewing out that Tyler O'Neill was given, I think, about the situation. I mean, this was really, uh, you know, a, a back and forth. I, maybe not a back and forth between O'Neill and Marmel, because I don't know that O'Neill had a whole lot to say. Um, as you'll again, he'll he'll talk about that, and I'll, I'll give you the entire context and play it all. But yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and play O'Neill's thoughts, and then I'm gonna give some of mine about the situation because I may end up coming uh, coming from a bit of a different angle than than most people. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter definitely. Um, even in the moment saying, what's O'Neill doing? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And while I agree that there might be some merit to that, I think there are some other things at play here that I would like to explore as well. So we're going to do all of that. But first, let's hear from Tyler O'Neill Again, this was just moments after Ollie Marmel had sort of lit him up on the postgame. Uh, we got a chance to ask O'Neill for his side, and here's that. Tyler, when we talked to Holly, he talked about that play. He called it an effort thing and said that it was unacceptable. That's the word that he used. Do you, you have a conversation? Can you sort of share what that conversation was like between the two of you? Um, yeah, no, I think um, he was pretty blunt about it. He didn't think I gave the best effort. Um, um, you know, I'm out here every day grinding my, grinding my ass off, um, you know, giving it my all and uh, trying to stay on the field for 160 games out here. So, um, you know, like I said, I just got to get a better jump next time, and, and I guess you know, just get around, get around the base a little quicker, and um, you know, be in there next time. So you you just you dispute that, you disagree with it. It wasn't an effort thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to score that round, of course. You know, um, not out there to dog it at all. Um, you know, those are pretty pretty strong words from him. So that's um, good to know. Tyler, you mentioned that you felt like you got a good jump. Do you feel like the, the rounding of third was was what you were looking for, or was that maybe an area where it went wrong a little bit? Um, no, you know, I was just uh, trying to take a tight turn. Um, you know, I've been working a lot on different run for mechanics and stuff here in St. Louis. Um, and that puts me in a better position for longevity. So, um, you know, maybe there was a little um, there was a little uh, too much thought process. In the in the play for me, rather than just to go get them, um, you know, as as I usually would. So um, you know, just finding that happy medium and uh, learning learning from the experience for sure. And it's a play that obviously develops develops pretty quickly for you, and knowing the, the arm of Acuna, just a lot kind of I guess going on in, in not a whole lot of time. Yeah, right. No, I knew it was going to be it was going to be close off the bat for sure. So um, you know, try to get around the bag and, and give it a tight turn around there and make sure I'm cutting my steps. Um, you know, get in there as soon as I could. And, you know, again, he's got one of the one of the best arms in the league. So, um, you know, he made a perfect throw to get me. Tyler, just to clear, Holly shared that thought with you, right? The strong words that you were talking about, he, he said that to you. Right. Okay. Did you guys come to an agreement on the thing? Like, did you get a chance to state to him like you stated to us? Um, well, there wasn't too much okay. that I would say in that conversation, I guess. He was uh, very adamant about making his points. Um, and you know it's not uh, not in the best of situations being 0 and 2 in this series here. So um, you know I understand the frustration, and um, you know I'm trying to do everything I can to stay in the field here and um, you know give it my best effort. You know I've never been known to be a be a dogger out there in any caliber. So you know for him to say that is uh, <laughs> very strong words. So you hear it there from Tyler O'Neill. Very strong words he says. Uh, of Ollie Marmel questioning his effort. I mean, not questioning. He says it was flat out not good enough. 
was the perspective of Ollie Marmel. And that was explosive. Yeah, this is one of the more explosive Cardinals post games that I can recall. Um, you know, it's certainly in the Ollie Marmel era. There was there were definitely some some nights uh, with Mike Matheny where different things would go on, uh, even Mike Schilt perhaps. But this this is really uh, one that took me a little bit by surprise, I think, um, just because, again, like I knew it was a big play in the game, and so I knew it was going to be talked about after the game. But there is a way for a manager, if he wants to, to sort of make something go away instead of make it become a thing, right? You say, you know, that, that – I identify what went wrong. You say, oh, he really, you know, just kind of got his feet caught up at third base and didn't really round it clean. And, and you know, that's a play we'd like to see him make, but uh, j- just came up short, right? If he if he says some platitudes or something like that, it's an it's kind of a non-story. It goes away a little bit. We probably still ask Tyler O'Neill in the clubhouse about, you know, what he saw on the play, but it's just not that big of a deal. Um, but Ali Marmel clearly was upset about it. And... I'm intrigued to see kind of, I guess, what happens on Wednesday if it's brought up again or if they say, you know, we're not going to beat this dead horse. It is what it is, and we leave it in the past. Like, is is O'Neal going to play on Wednesday? I, you know, I'll, I'll talk about kind of my theory about that and how maybe sort of Dylan Carlson plays into all of this because there was some more talk on on Tuesday in the pregame, which I was not at. I don't get to go to the pregames during weekdays. Um, because I'm doing my radio show for a 6:45 game, I'm on the air from four to six. Uh, the big show on KTGR in Columbia, uh, and you can check it out if you live in St. Louis or anywhere else on KTGR.com. We're live there, live on the KTGR app. So uh, if you want more sports talk from me, you can get that weekdays from four to six. Uh, myself and my co-host Andy Humphrey. But it was one of those things where I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what was said. But when it comes to Dylan Carlson. The notion was brought up again, and we talked about this on B-Shape Daily, I think, when Ben Fred sent the tweet uh, a few days before the season when Juan Yepes was optioned to AAA and, and talked about it as though it was like, yep, this final roster spot, the final spot on our bench came down to Yepes versus Dylan Carlson, of all people. Uh, not Alec Burleson, who was basically a lock to make the roster. No, Dylan Carlson was the guy that they were saying, yeah, yeah, is, is he going to make the roster? Like internally, based on what Ollie has said, that's how they were viewing it. And it kind of blows my mind that that's the case. I'll get into the Carlson stuff more, um, but basically that that Carlson made the roster because of his defensive flexibility, made the team over Yepes, as though Carlson was not a lock to make the team. It's crazy to me the way that, that he has sort of uh, been discussed and talked about and viewed. And I, I kind of want to get into that because maybe that's something that changes now. I don't know. After the, the Tyler O'Neill situation on Tuesday, like I said, I'll be kind of curious to see what happens there, but a lot to unpack, right? I here's the thing of it for me, and I'm and I want to give my take and my opinion on this. But I, like I said, I don't know if this is going to be something that people agree with, or they say, you know, Brendan is caping for Tyler O'Neill, or I'm being too tough on on Ron Warner, Pop Warner at third base. But for me. What goes above all of it, whether O'Neill gave the right effort or not or what it was, and I tweeted this out where I said that for whatever the reason is, I don't know the why. I I still, to this moment, do not know the why of why Tyler O'Neill looked the way he looked going around the bases because we asked him about it and gave him every opportunity to blame it on something or to attribute it to something, and he sort of gave a lot of different answers where you have to sort of pick and choose maybe what was really going through his mind. Um, You heard there in the clip from O'Neill where he talked about 
maybe overthinking it a little bit. And, and instead of allowing just his natural ability to take over and go get it like I normally do, I think is what he said there in the clip that we just played. He was maybe just thinking through the process of his steps and all of those things. And there were a lot of factors as to why that may have been the case. Uh, the rain, it did start to rain. And so the bag was going to be a little slick and the terrain might be a little slick. And so in that situation, you might be a little tentative rounding the base and not not hit it as crisp as you normally would. And maybe that caused kind of a slowdown in his giddy up that he just was never able to to like get that gear back going into home plate. Maybe that was part of it. Um, I, I gave him the opportunity, though, to answer it that way. I said, was it maybe the rounding third that gave you some trouble? And you heard there in that in his answer to that question where he, he's kind of downplayed it and said, you know, you know, it was. That, that's where he kind of launched into maybe I was just overthinking the steps of my footwork. And, and then he talks about longevity and trying to stay healthy and things that he's worked on with his running form in St. Louis with St. Louis to improve upon that to make sure he can be on the field 160 games a year. So the injury history is maybe playing into it in that moment where, yes, he's had a lot of soft tissue injuries, at, you know, talking about hamstrings or quads or whatever. And, like, you don't want to get into a situation where you're in the rain, you slip, you 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 just misstep and it causes you to be out. Um, that's the last thing Tyler O'Neill wants for good reason, right? That was basically the story of his 2022 and it wasn't a great season. And that came on the heels of a 21. That was a breakout campaign for him. So, all right. The, is the injury history playing in a little bit in the rain to his, I think subconsciously it might've right. Like my take is that Tyler O'Neill was not dogging it. I do not agree with Ollie Marmel's assessment. And I wonder if Wednesday Ollie Marmel, I'm not saying he's going to walk it back and say, but do I wonder if he views it a little bit differently and not so emphatically maybe that it was Tyler O'Neill not giving effort because I think it looked like Tyler O'Neill not giving effort. That's what everybody on Twitter said. And that's what the Cardinals manager said. And so that very well may have been what it is like Tyler O'Neill in kind of an opposite of what you saw with remember Harrison Bader last year, Ollie Marble pulled him from a game mid game for not giving effort. Uh, I believe it was like running out to first base on a, on a fly ball to end an inning or something like that. Ollie Marble didn't like it. He pulled him immediately. I think tonight I, we were kind of talking about this. Was there an opportunity to, to do that with O'Neill if he was so pissed? Uh, you could have had Alec Burleson come in off the bench, but Burleson, not a, not a premier defender. Um, it's raining, so you, you, you bring him into that situation. You could have moved Carlson to center, Burleson to left. Is it a situation they wanted to do? Like, there's precedent for it, obviously, with the fact that Marmol did it last year with Bader. But remember, Bader's response to that was, yeah, coach, like, yeah, I messed up and I I need to be better. And he totally owned it. Uh, O'Neill was not owning it. He, it felt like he took it a little personally, which if you're hearing the the vigor with which Ali Marmol spoke, it, I think it would be kind of hard not to take it personally. Like, he was, there was no doubting his intent. He was adamant in the way he approached it. Uh, not only with Tyler O'Neill, as you heard Tyler explain, like there wasn't much for me to say. Like Derek asked a great question. Like he said this to you, right? Yes, okay, he did. They did have a conversation. Tyler confirmed it to Derek's question, and then said, "Did you guys come to any sort of understanding? Like, because you're telling us very different things from." So how did that conversation go? Like it was a great question, and he said, "Well, there really wasn't anything I was going to say in that conversation because he was pretty adamant, and uh, that tells me it was it was sort of an ass chewing, and." Tyler O'Neill just just probably kind of stood there and, and, and took it, not not going to disagree with it. But you you get a little bit of time to unwind from that. That is a highly charged emotional environment, by the way. Like, if your manager is coming at you and you're at it, so 
that's this is heavy stuff for sure. And you're Tyler O'Neill. You've been through everything you've been through with injuries, and you're trying. Uh, you feel like you're the type of player that plays balls to the wall, 100% effort all the time. Like I, th- I think that's the way Tyler O'Neill would describe himself on any other day, right? It's the way a lot of fans might describe him. He he is that kind of player, I think, for the most part. But in this case, he's having his effort question, and so he doesn't take the Harrison Bader route of. Yeah, I own it. I need to. I need to make sure I'm not dogging it out there. He's like, no, nah, man. That's that's the last thing I want to be accused of because I don't feel like I'm playing that way. But you watch the video, and I think anybody that has seen Tyler O'Neill play baseball before knows that that it doesn't look that way for Tyler O'Neill most of the time. So while I 100% agree with the notion that it didn't look right, and I think that's what Ollie Marmel is seeing and saying, hey, it didn't look right. I'm gonna have a different take and say he wasn't dogging it. I think he overthought the crap out of it. He did not allow his instincts to take over. And, you know, you could say what you want about his instincts, whether they're good or bad. I've seen him in center field maybe not always get the best jump, the best first step on some of these balls in center field, which is something I want to mention when we get into the Carlson thing again. I don't know why Dylan Carlson's playing left field tonight and, and Tyler O'Neill's in center. It makes no sense to me. I, I have a hypothesis for why it is. And, uh, again, it's something that if I had the chance to, to ask Ollie um, – I could do that, but it's probably one of those things that you can't really ask in a group setting because it's already been talked about before. The question's been asked a million times. It was asked in, in his office on opening day, right? Why is Tyler O'Neill the center field? Uh, you know, And Ollie basically said, this is the outfield we decided to go with, and we want to see what it looks like for a little while. Totally fair. But like, if you, if you peel the onion back and try to speculate on, okay, what is it really that makes sense about if Dylan Carlson is your best defensive center fielder, which he is, I don't think that is an opinion. I think it's a fact. He is their best defensive option in center field. But if you have a situation where he's not playing every day and you've already decided that Tyler O'Neill is, and I think that's an offensive decision, that they're going to decide between the two bats and say, we like Tyler O'Neill's bat more at this point in time. We believe in it more. And so he's earned the right to be an everyday player. And then, if that's the decision, I'm not even going to debate that decision. I do think they are they're kind of burying Dylan Carlson and throwing him under the bus in ways that don't need to be necessarily happening. Maybe I'm missing something and I just don't get it. But to me, from from where I sit, it's it's strange the narrative and the way that it has shifted surrounding Dylan Carlson. I know he had a terrible last season uh, against right-handed pitching, and if you if you came in and saw his spring training, sure he struck out a lot. He did hit right-handed pitching well in spring, but struggled against lefties. Weirdly enough. But he struck out a bunch, and so if you came away from spring and what you saw from Tyler O'Neill in the World Baseball Classic and you say, O'Neill is our everyday guy and Carlson's not, Carlson's our guy that we don't know if he's going to make the roster, which is just ludicrous to me. Um, but if that's the way the Cardinals feel, okay, then you take the next logical step and say, who's going to play center field? Because Dylan Carlson was kind of the de facto center fielder after Bader got traded last year or even before the trade because Bader was injured, and so Dylan was playing it, and he was playing it at a very high level you know, proving that he is the the best option defensively in center field. But if you've decided that Tyler O'Neill is going to be an everyday player for you, then you kind of maybe give precedent to him and say, all right, he wants to be the center fielder, which is, is what the, the word is out of uh, spring training, is that he wanted that. He wanted that for himself, and the team acquiesced and said, okay, you're going to be our guy. Let's see how it looks. You want it. Go out and get, like, we're going to give it to you. We're going to, that, that can be the tiebreaker because you're going to be the everyday guy. Dylan's going to have to float around because he's not going to be playing every day based on our plans at the beginning of the season. So they, they gave Tyler O'Neill some latitude to say like, Hey, this is what you want. We're going to allow this to happen. Go get him, tiger. 
And maybe that's what plays into why Ali Marmol was so damn pissed on Tuesday night because he probably, and again, this is speculative. This is not something I've asked Ali Marmol about. Uh, it, again, it was a, a, a group interview that you had after the post game, and he was definitely hot about it, you know, as you heard there. And so I haven't asked him about this, but I'm thinking about this on the way home and kind of speculating. Like, could I see it being a case where Ali Marmol feels like, listen, we have given Tyler O'Neill every opportunity to thrive and succeed. We've give, we've give, we've bestowed upon him a center field job. He's earned it. He's a player that can go out and get it in center field, a great fielder. He's a two-time gold glover in left. But we've given him every opportunity to succeed. And now I have this moment in this game where it's a critical spot in the in the ball game, and I feel like he is not giving the effort. It doesn't look right to my eyes. You know, you're seeing red at that point if you're Ollie Marmol, right? And I think the whole backstory of Tyler O'Neill might play into that and might play into the reaction if you're if you're Ollie Marmol because that's a guy who, like, you've put him in the position that he feels comfortable, that you feel is going to work best for the ball club because of the fact that it can allow him to spread his wings and thrive, and then you feel like he's not giving effort. So I can see why you might see red, and that's why I wonder. Maybe Ollie doesn't change his mind on Wednesday. He he sleeps on it, and he feels the exact same and says, no, that's an effort play. We've got to we've got to be better. Maybe that's the takeaway. It, I totally you know could understand it being that way. But I also wonder if it's not a case where Ollie would, would see it sort of the way I'm looking at it and going, all right, were there extenuating factors there that it was a bad play? It was failed execution on the part of Tyler O'Neill, no question about it, because it did not look right to our eyes. I don't, and, and again, you can check out Matt Polly's video. He posted it to his Twitter account, uh, Matt Polly with KMOX, where you see the entire over overhead angle. It's a little bit grainy though, because it's it's from from way up there, and so at what point does Tyler O'Neill get the secondary lead? Does he get the good jump that he thought he did? You heard in the video that, or the audio, I should say, from O'Neill, he said, "I thought I got a great second, uh, a good jump off the pitch, and I'm going on contact. I know it's two outs, I'm going on contact, and so." Okay, if that's not where it went wrong, that's kind of why I jump in and ask him, hey, was it rounding third that was the issue? Because we're trying to, like, if it's not effort, Tyler, your manager said it was. And so now I feel like what? hopefully you come up with an explanation that can maybe allow us to tie a bow on this. And I think everybody was kind of looking, okay, I was thinking maybe was it rounding third? It looked weird, rounding third, right? But was it because of bad effort or was it because of Tyler O'Neill sort of overthinking it in a moment where he's got all these things going through his head about, I got to be too perfect. I got to be fine. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to. And it's not like you have those conscious thoughts because this is happening. That's why I asked the second question about it It all happened so quickly. Right. And you know, you've got a Cunha and right. Who's got a a cannon for an arm. It's all happening there in in the course of a split second. So is he consciously doing it? No, I don't think so. I don't think he's consciously dogging or consciously being lazy or anything like that. I think he's subconsciously in a moment, having all of those factors at play that, that kind of, seep into the back of your mind and he's in a situation where because of those things he doesn't execute and of all the 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 quotes that he gave in that clip that we played that was several minutes long from Tyler O'Neill I think the most important takeaway other than the part where he disagreed openly with his manager's assessment of the play I think if you're really trying to dig into what actually happened here I think it's the part where O'Neill says you know maybe I was just kind of overthinking it and instead of allowing my, you know, I don't remember the exact quote, I'm paraphrasing now, but instead of allowing his natural abilities to take over and go get him, is what he said, like I normally do, you know, that that's the learning experience I think I got to take away from this. I was thinking too much out there. And, you know, he's 15th in 2022, even a season where he wasn't having a, a fully healthy year and wasn't great. 
He's still ranked 15th in Major League Baseball in sprint speed, according to the StatCast sprint speed leaderboard. So he has the foot speed. There is no doubt about it. And I was even talking to my dad on the way home for the game, and we were kind of hashing out what we thought about it. And it's a situation where if you didn't see the play unfold, if you were listening on the radio, but somebody told you, yes, Brendan Donovan hits a line drive to right field, and it's a base hit, and it, you know it ends up with whatever exit velocity, which off the top of my head, I don't know. I may try to take a moment here to to research what the exit velo was of the Brendan Donovan hit, but it went over the head of the second baseman, as I remember it, watching it live, and you know he, he gave it a pretty good poke. So I don't know exactly how deep Ronald Acuna was playing. It's another thing that I would like to kind of check out. I might have to pull this Matt Pauly video up right now because he did take the overhead angle, and it was pretty good. But like I assume, before I, I, I dive into it here, that in that moment, you've got Ronald Acuna in right field playing you know, relatively medium depth, and he's actually playing pretty deep, surprisingly. He's playing pretty deep, and he just has that good of an arm. The ball is hit pretty hard by Donovan, which I sort of suspected, but coming around third, you can just see it from O'Neill. It doesn't look exactly right. Like There's something about it that's off. 99.5 was the exit velo for Brendan Donovan on the base hit. Line drive, couple of bounces to Acuna, and he comes up firing. He did. He made a perfect throw and a great throw. And that's why in there you hear O'Neill talk about it. it took a great throw to get me, and that's what he did. And that's all true. But for me, you shouldn't expect anything other than a great throw from Ronald Cooney because he did it to Contreras in the fourth. He's going to do it to you. He's going to do it to everybody. He's one of the best, if not the best, right field arms in baseball. So that wasn't a surprise. It's just for me, I'm looking at the situation and wondering what it is that, that happened there that didn't go right for Tyler O'Neill because we know it wasn't what was normal. And in the way that he sort of, I think he probably felt a little bombarded because it had just happened and your manager's three under the bus and you're, you're going to, it's not effort, but he was maybe searching for in his own mind, what happened there. And I think it's hard to, you know, sub know subconsciously what happened. If it was a subconscious decision as you're just trying to make a play and you're overthinking it instead of just letting her eat, that's what you got to do. You just got to go out there and play. And in that moment, Tyler O'Neill, Said it, you know, through a couple of different questions, was ultimately able to come up with, I think I just, I was overthinking it. That's what he ended up saying tonight. And I think if you talk to him about it on Wednesday, we'll see if that happens. Or like I said, if they're just going to let a sleeping dog lie on this, um, I'm going to try to get up there for the pregame tomorrow because it is a day game. But maybe the next day he comes up with and is able to better articulate it after getting to sleep on it, what exactly happened there. But if I had to guess, I think it's a situation where he just in that moment was overthinking and it didn't, caused his execution of the play to fail. That's sort of the way that I view it. But now, if Ollie feels the way that he felt about it, you know, maybe they have a conversation on Wednesday and they're able to clear everything up and they're they're good, they're cool now. There's no doghouse situation. But if we go off of what happened on Tuesday, like Tyler O'Neill could very well be riding the pine on Wednesday, which would then put to me Dylan Carlson in center field. But here's the thing of it. And let me know what you think about this, by the way. At Schaefer 12 on Twitter, let me know your thoughts. I know people have been chiming in uh, a lot before this this podcast and this video, but I'm curious, do you agree with my take on it? That I don't think Tyler O'Neill was dogging it, if I had to guess, but I think there is an explanation for, yeah, it didn't look right, and here's why. Um, but I'm kind of curious what you guys think. But by the way, and I haven't talked enough about this, I think it was a terrible send by, by Pop Warner at third base. There is absolutely no reason to do it. None. There's There's virtually no upside to doing it because if you score the run, okay, it's four to two, you're still down. You still need Tommy Edmond to come through with a hit 
because if he doesn't, it's 4-2 going into the eighth. You've got the ninth. It's starting to rain. Like I said, they just didn't really muster a whole lot. The ninth inning was very feeble. They had a little bit of action going in the eighth but couldn't get anything across. I think in that spot, you have to tie the game in the seventh inning or at least get it to 4-3. to three. I, 4 to 2 doesn't do a lot for you. In my opinion, you st- you're losing the game 4 to 2. That's great. You have to get Tommy Ebbin to the plate. That is the most important thing to me in that spot because his numbers against left-handed pitching are ridiculous. And Dylan Lee the lefty had come in to face Donovan, and if he doesn't get him, he gets to gets to has to end up facing Tommy Ebbin who's going to bat from the right side and kills lefties, and then he's going to face Dylan Carlson who last year struggled against righties but killed lefties. And so you're going to be in a spot where the Cardinals have a very good chance of tying that game or maybe taking the lead. It has to be known that that's like what was intentional. That was the design of the whole thing, in my opinion. Like it's a chess match between two managers. But when he brings in the left, you don't think that Ali Marl didn't suspect that was going to be a possibility? Of course he did. I don't have to ask him to know that. I don't have to ask Ali Marmel to know that he's looking at that going, okay, if they do, great. We trust Brendan Donovan to get the knock against a lefty, and then we know we're turning the lineup over to the top we have two guys that are switch hitters are going to bat from the right side. And then we've got, you know, Goldsmith, Arenado. We really got it going. Good luck if you're going to leave a lefty in to face those guys. Like, they had the exact situation that I think they wanted. It would have been bases loaded two out. And now you've got the go-ahead run in Tommy Eben at the plate, which he's he's been taking lefties deep all of 2022. So he could have hit a grand slam in that spot. But they take the bat out of his hands by sending Tyler O'Neill there. And so if I'm Pop Warner at third base, he could have gotten the best jump of all time. I still think I'm playing that conservatively. I don't think the it's a risk reward proposition, right? The risk does not it's not worth the risk to potentially gain the reward of that second run because it's not the run that matters. And I know it's not the ninth inning. If it's the bottom of the ninth, it's it's even more clear because you you get out there, the game's over. And what what's it what's the point of making the last out of the game on a play where you're trying to get your second run when you're down by three doesn't make any sense but that wasn't the case I got to acknowledge that it was the seventh inning so if you score that second run you're now down four to two you could score a couple in the eighth couple in the ninth whatever the case might be and and that could change the complexion of the game and you're able to tie it up but being at the game watching the game you get a feel for games sometimes and sometimes you're wrong but it felt like the game was over after that seventh inning because it, it, you know they, they just weren't going to it didn't seem like muster the rally that they needed unless they did it right there in that moment. And I know you ended up having Goldsmith Arenado coming to the plate. Like, you have the guys you want up in the eighth inning to be able to make something happen, uh, you know, because it was still Edmund and then Carlson, then Goldsmith gets a chance. I, I just didn't feel like in that moment. I, you had to get Edmund to bat against the lefty. You had the tactical advantage, and you gave it up because you were desperate to get that second run. And so my thing is, if, if you're Pop Warner at third, and let's say he gets the jump of a lifetime at second base, all right, I mean, I guess you send him then. But like I was talking about, and I sort of got sidetracked when I was talking to my dad about this after the game, you could be listening on the radio and not know, and you could hear, okay, 99.5 miles per hour off the bat of Brendan Donovan to right. Ronald Cunha is not playing shallow. I thought he would have been. I watched the video. I was wrong. He's playing rather deep, honestly, in right field. Charging hard, though, he's going to come up with a throw. You have Tyler O'Neill. On second base, you know how fast Tyler O'Neill is. You kind of know what that play is going to look like. It's going to be bang-bang at the plate, at the very least. And the fact that this wasn't tells you that something was off. Like, that's that's what you see to know, okay, there's something different about this play. I don't know what it is, but I know that it can't just be a status quo explanation for what happened. Something happened, 
O'Neill was not on his horse the way that he normally would be. There is no way to dispute that. Like I said, I come on, I come down on the side of it wasn't effort related. It was getting a little bit too much in his head, and he his execution failed because of it. He failed because of it. Um, but it, I, I'm not saying like there was the moment where I asked Ollie, was it a case of he didn't think he was going to be sent, and so he's just kind of like pulling up, heading into third. He said, you know, bottom line, whether that was the case or not, it's not his judgment called to make. It's not his, you know, you're you're going 100% effort until you're told not to, was the quote from Ollie. And then to his credit, O'Neill said, no, I expected to be sent. It's two outs. You're running on contact. Like, that wasn't an excuse that I'm making. I don't think that was the case. But I'll make it for him. He should not have been sent. And he would have been right to assume that he wasn't going to be sent. Well, maybe not right to. Ollie's right. You have to have effort 100% of the time. Don't don't try to counteract. The coach is standing there for a reason. That's what Ollie said. He's right about that. The coach got it wrong in this case. I don't think there's any justification for sending him, given the game situation. You're down by three runs. Tyler O'Neill's run doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. And you've got a perfect situation coming up with the guy you want against a pitcher that they're not legally allowed to take out of the game. And so for me, I while I agree that Tyler O'Neill didn't look right and it was a struggle, I think that there's more to it than that, and I would put some onus on the coaching staff, which I know Ollie is not going to do, but for me, I think that the mistake was made. It was. It's very black and white for me that he should not have been sent. You can talk about all the other stuff, and it matters, and and it's it's very interesting to get into. But the bottom line for me, and this is where I don't know if people agree with me or not, you cannot send him there. It is a a, a fatal error to do so, and in part, it co- it costs the Cardinals a chance to make their way back in this game. Right? I mean, the Stephen Mass didn't give you what you wanted at the beginning. Uh, was able to settle in. The bullpen did a great job to be able to. Uh, keep it to just four runs for the entire game uh, for Atlanta. But that was a spot in the seventh inning where I thought, yes, they're going to have a really ideal situation coming up with Edmund against a lefty that they're not allowed to take out. And the only way to mess that up is by sending Tyler O'Neill and being extra aggressive there. And so even if he looked great on his jump, I, I think it's a mistake. Let's go into reality, though. We're all acknowledging that something didn't look right. It may have happened as he rounded the bag, like, I'm not a, a base running expert to where I can look at that video and go, here's where he screwed up. Like, this is the moment where he lost momentum or whatever. It all just looks like it's happening in slow motion. So, I don't know if it was the terrain. He didn't blame it. That might be in the mo- in the moment. You're Tyler O'Neill. Like, think about that. You're being bombarded at your locker, and your manager's already thrown you under the bus, and you're trying to, like, hold your ground while also not sounding uh, as controversial as it's inevitably going to end up sounding. And so, in your head, you might be going, damn, I would love to blame the weather. I'd love to tell everybody, like, listen, that field is slick out there. You know, the base was slick. I just, I felt like I was, it was started to rain. I didn't, I didn't want to get, you have to present a coherent argument in the moment when you're up against the media. I could totally understand how in Tyler O'Neill's case, it's like, man, you're not going to be able to exactly articulate everything maybe you want to under the gun in that moment. So I wonder if maybe he has some other things that he would add on Wednesday, or if, like I said, they just don't talk about it and, and he's not asked about it or doesn't get a chance to express it. Maybe that ends up being the case, too. I don't really know. I just knew it didn't look good. Um, but like I said, I think it's a case where if, if Pop Warner doesn't send him, we might be talking about a completely different ballgame. Um, Ollie Marmel wasn't going to say that. Ollie Marmel was going to say that it, was, it didn't look right for Tyler O'Neill, and it didn't. Ollie attributed that to effort. I can understand how that might be the case because it was bewildering to see Tyler O'Neill come up as short as he did, given all of the facts of the play that we know. Like I said, if you listen to it on the radio, you'd go bang, bang, play at the plate. It ends up not being that, so it was pretty confusing. 
that's really all I'm going to have to say about the Tyler O'Neill thing, but I want to kind of explain how maybe Dylan Carlson factors into this moving forward because if he ends up being the guy to play center field on Wednesday, I think that would be rather interesting. I don't know off the top of my head who the pitcher is um, for the Braves. If, if it's a lefty, then, you know, he probably plays Dylan Carlson anyway. But, like, I don't understand the Carlson thing. I really don't. And if it's a case where, like I mentioned earlier, Ollie feels like I've given this latitude to Tyler O'Neill and it hasn't panned out, and in this moment, my frustration is going to erupt because uh, I, I feel as though we've given him the chance to succeed, and now I just feel like he dogged it and didn't give effort. You're not going. You're going to see red. You're not going to take the time to think. Okay, is there any other explanation for why this happened? Why this played out? It's human nature. Like, you're not going to be waiting for the explanation, even if there is a good one. And maybe there's not. Like I said, I have an opinion that there is. Um, it's not a good one. Like, he failed execution, and that that's something that's going to piss a manager off, rightfully so. Um, but at the same time, was it because of effort? I don't know. But I look at the situation with Tyler O'Neill versus Dylan Carlson, and it's like, Carlson, man, the fact that they're saying, yeah, he beat out Juan Yepes for a roster spot. I'm not talking about for the starting lineup. I'm talking about a roster spot on the 26. On the 26-man roster, they're saying it came down to Yepes and Carlson, and Yepes had a bad spring, a 600 OPS. I would have liked to have seen him on the team. He's there now. It's good for him. I think he's a great hitter, very good hitter that can that can help this team, no doubt. But you're saying it's going to come down to defensive flexibility is the reason that it's Carlson over Yepes. Why is Carlson's roster spot up for debate? What am I missing about this? Maybe there is something that I'm missing and that I don't understand. But to me, from where I sit, from the knowledge I have about this team, going back to not just this year, but last year, year before that, the pedigree of Carlson coming up, man, it feels like they're dogging this guy. And all I've seen him do this spring, other than strike out a ton in spring training, which is a problem, you know, if you're not making good t- contact, that those at-bats are going to stick in the mind of a manager that that is evaluating you and trying to figure out what your role is going to be. But I look at him and say he's the best defensive center fielder they have to offer. And if he's in a game playing left field when Tyler O'Neill is playing center like he was tonight, I just don't agree with it. I don't understand it. I do understand it. Here's the explanation. And I may have already given this. I know I'm kind of talking in a circle sometimes. But if you have a situation where you know that O'Neill is going to play every day, we're going to bestow you that center field job because it's where you're most comfortable. And then because the guy who's kind of the quote-unquote fourth outfielder is not guaranteed playing time every day and and Dylan Carlson at this point, he's got to be the one that's more flexible. You know, that's just the way it is. He's not the starter. We're going to consider Tyler O'Neill in, in, in a different tier. He's going to get that, that whether you call it preferential treatment, whatever you call it, we want Tyler O'Neill to be comfortable. He wants to play this position. That's the position that we think he can play, so we're going to let him do it. I don't care. I think that's a misstep. Personally, if Dylan Carlson's in the lineup, he's playing center because it's, a be- it's a, the best alignment that you have. There's not any disputing that, in my opinion. And so that's one where I just have not really understood it. Um, like I said, I think the explanation is understandable. If they think this is our everyday guy and this is where we're how we're going to handle it, totally respect that. I just don't have to agree with it, right? Like, you know, there are different beliefs I think among Cardinals fans about oh the media like they're gonna they're gonna be soft on this team, they're not gonna ask the right questions, they're not gonna. I try to be fair, I really do, and sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I'm overly critical on something that later you get an explanation and go oh that's exactly what that was. It's gonna happen. It's human nature. I'm not perfect. Sometimes I'm going to uh, maybe not be as critical about something because I had an impression that it should have been this way. And then kind of time goes on and you realize, no, I probably could have laid the hammer down a little bit more and talked about that more than I did. And I regret it. Like that's just the name of the game. You're, you're trying to do your best. 
in the same way that Ollie Marmel has got the information that he's got at his disposal about his team. I mean, he's got data that y'all have no idea the access that Ollie Marmel has to data. And he is a very, very smart manager that's going to make the most of, of it, right? And he's not going to allow public criticism to infiltrate what his mindset is because if you do, you're lost. So I totally agree with that and understand that mindset from a manager. He, he's got to be his own man and trust his instincts and trust what he does. But at the same time, I just think it's strange the way that Carlson has been sort of left for dead. And like I said, the spring for him I didn't think was that bad. He struck out a ton, so maybe they're fixated on that. But if you if you told the guy, hey, we can't play you down the stretch of 2022 because what you're doing at the plate against right-handed pitching is not good enough for us, and then he goes out and has like a 900 OPS against right-handed pitching in spring, I would say at least that's a positive step. It's not like a backward step. Even if the competition sucks and he's doing it against, you know, A-ball pitching, I don't. I, I didn't go back and look at the quality of the pitching that he was facing in all of those at-bats, but the numbers are what they are. Like, okay, good enough spring for Dylan Carlson. He's come out in the opportunities he's gotten in the regular season and gotten a couple of hits here and there. So I don't, I don't think there's any issue with that. He looked great to my eyes in center field defensively in the game on Monday. Like, I, I, I feel like the conversation about him is just so bizarre. Um, and part of that is going to be Cardinals fans going, see – they should have traded him for Juan Soto. I can't believe he was the guy that they weren't willing to trade for Juan Soto. Remember, Jordan Walker's on this team because they didn't trade for Juan Soto. Mason Wynn will be on this team in a matter of weeks or months because they did not trade for Juan Soto. It would not have been Dylan Carlson for Juan Soto. It would have been Dylan Carlson and Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman and, 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 and they didn't have a Mackenzie Gore pitching prospect. You know, the, the luster on Matthew Libertor had waned a little bit at the time. Maybe we think he's about to start to tick back up. He's looking really good. But they didn't have an, a pitcher to give to the Washington Nationals of the of the Mackenzie Gore caliber. They just didn't. And so they couldn't match the offer uh, without really just diving all in on, on all the great position players and prospects that they had. They didn't want to do it. Carlson was one of those names, but he wasn't the only name. And so keep that in mind when if you want to, you know, spout these these takes about Dylan Carlson. But I do agree. They were very protective of him last year. And now it seems like he's sort of in that that limbo of like, well, what's his future going to be? I can't really tell. If he can't hit right-handed pitching, time will tell that, and, and the Cardinals will end up being proven correct if they kind of dial him back and say, hey, he's going to be a platoon guy that's going to play a lot against lefties because he's good against lefties, and then he's going to be more of like a fourth outfielder defensive guy late in games uh, against righties because we've got Jordan Walker that we trust the bat. By the way, five-game hitting streak for Walker. He did get the base knock in his last at-bat tonight to be able to extend that. Um, you know, generally Lars Nupar is going to be the guy that we feel like is going to play every day, which like they've made their decision on that. So I feel like Dylan Carlson gets boxed out maybe through no fault of his own. But when there's a conversation about, yeah, he, he barely made the roster because of his defensive flexibility. I think that's a bridge too far for me. I just don't really understand that. And so I was kind of like, I got to talk about this tonight because it's just continuing to be discussed. Um, but I think the corollary to that is, well, now Tyler O'Neill is maybe in a spot where, we don't know what his status is going to be. Dylan Carlson has an opportunity for sure, especially with Lars Dupar on the injured list, uh, to maybe take it and run with that center field job once again. We'll see if that ends up happening. How about that, though? Nearly an hour that we have talked about this with a day game on Wednesday. So I don't even know if anybody's going to listen to this whole thing or watch this whole video on YouTube. Uh, but please subscribe on YouTube, guys. I am working my butt off to try and get this thing off the ground. It's hard to do from scratch. 
you, if you're a listener of my show, you can literally do more than you know for me by one simple thing. Even if you don't watch the YouTube videos, but you've got a YouTube, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. If you subscribe, you're my hero. Um, trying to get that thing off the ground and, and, and get it rolling. Same thing with Spotify. Same thing with Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to Be Shake Keely. Like, you're getting Daily Cardinals content. I'm going to keep bringing it to you. Um, and, and clearly, some stuff happens. It's, it's only April, and we're five games into the season, and we're getting a, a very explosive uh, postgame between uh, the comments from Ollie Marmel and Tyler O'Neill. So, lots of fun Cardinals stuff is going to be coming throughout the entire season. I do believe, despite the, the way the starting pitching might have you feeling right now after the first turn through the rotation. I do believe that this Cardinals team is one that's going to be pretty competitive, be a playoff team, and we'll be talking about B-Shafe Daily episodes about October baseball. So no time like the present, right? You go ahead and just get in, get comfortable, get situated, make us a part of your routine. Uh, Let me know what I can be doing better, too. You're like, yeah, I would love a Daily Cardinals podcast, but yours sucks, and here's why. Give me feedback, guys. I want to be the guy that uh, can provide what the listeners are looking for. So at bshafer12 on Twitter, let me know feedback, whether it's good, bad, or, or indifferent. Um, let me know what you think. And uh, and then at some point, patreon.com slash bshafer12. Once you're ready to take that leap, you say, I want you to keep staying up till 2 a.m. to do these shows. Uh, throw me a monthly subscription, and we'll uh, we'll appreciate that as well. But, hey, for now, just love that you're part of the, the team listening here on bshafe daily. Uh, hopefully, mostly every night. There's going to be some nights we miss, but uh, it's 2 a.m. I'm going to try to get this up. Appreciate you guys, as always. As always, we'll talk to you next time on Be Shape Daily. Peace.